Yep, but that's not going yet, right?
That's, yeah, that's, that's, that's something. Wow. Well, here we are for adoption. All of us farmers and business folks, nurses, teachers, we're on the cutting edge here, I want to tell you. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think Ray would like to have that started. And, uh, but I understand. Oh, is it? Then he'll edit it later. Okay. All right. Well. Let me give kind of an introduction, and then Jerry, I'm going to have you pray. And uh, in this subject of adoption, this may be of help for other folks. Last week, our goal was to introduce God as an individual. He was he presented himself as a father who was adopting an infant. Um, we saw four different life phases of this adoptive father with the child, the infancy, the birth, the toddler age and young life, midlife, we could use Israel's midlife crisis, and then knowing that God is going to lead them to a golden age. That's just what the scriptures have presented. But Primarily, uh, my goal was to help those who were here to see that God understands the adoption process. He's going through it right now with Israel. He really is. It's not yet completely done, but that's uh, we. They need to know. 
people who are in the adoptive process or thinking about it that God is really more than just the creator. He, he understands the area of adoption. Uh, today we're going to look at Moses. We all know the story and it's great that we can use that as a baseline, but God will save the entire nation of Israel through adoption. It's, it's amazing how, how far ahead of us God is. Pharaoh's decree has been announced. All the baby boys got to be thrown into the Nile. And yet God will take that same plan, that decree, and so use it that God will raise up through that awful decree the Savior that will destroy Egypt and take care of the nation of Israel. It's just God is so far ahead. We want to look at the, the parents because the parents are noted in Scripture specifically. And there are some lessons for parents in this, but also we'll get to Moses' life a little bit later. One of the things that we want to highlight is the sufficiency of Scripture. Uh, we are going to learn that Aram and Jochebed, Moses' mom and dad, who are named in the scriptures. If you were to go to Google search Moses' parents, you will get all kinds of material that's completely bizarre and yet presented as historical fact. One of them, one of these ideas, is that Moses' mother and father were not young parents, but they were older, uh, quite a bit older when they began to have their children. And when the decree was passed, Aram, who was a godly man, had a lot of social significance. This is the story. He divorces Moses' mother living together and having a child will be worse than facing the decree, so I'm just going to divorce you. And all the other Jewish men did the same thing. They just divorced their wives so that there wouldn't be any babies. And they realized that that was really not the right thing to do, so they got married again together. And when she conceives, they realize that they can trust God and the moment of birth takes place that God miraculously touches this woman's body. She has no pain in childbirth or delivery. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> and, he, and God touches, miraculously touches her body so that she reverts to her youth, her skin, is tightened up, it's fresh, it's young again. When the baby is born, there's a glow around him and they instantly know that he's the deliverer. And there are people who are passing this stuff along as, it's, as if it's historical fact. Okay, if it's not in the Bible, don't worry about it. Okay, and don't spend any time thinking about it. But they've got all kinds of... of uh, they don't even call them fables or folklore. They just present it as fact. 
and I don't know who's writing Wikipedia and some of these other articles. It's awful. So we're going to look. Let's go to Exodus chapter 2. We'll turn there, get our Bibles ready, or devices. And then Jerry will pray. We'll see what God's Word says. And there are two things about the parents that we want to see and then see how this adoption not only impacted Moses' life, but how God uses it. Uh, there's a lot. I think we can get through all of it. Jerry, would you open us in prayer, please? Thank you. Justin, would you read Exodus 2, the first 10 verses, please? This is what we do have for sure. No fables, just God's word. No, I'm never and you run a business? What is he like at home, Carol? I'm not dating because he's deaf. <laughs> 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 yeah. Okay. <laughs> now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she made a papyrus um, uh, basket for him and coated it with tar and tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it. And Moses saying, I drew him out of the water. Hmm. 
When the child grew and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, he became her son. Moses is adopted. That's, that's quite something. We want to look at the parents because God does. Uh, I have this up here as kind of a, a sketch that was given to give us some idea of Israel's oppression, people having to build, but also the greatness of, of Moses' world. This is something that has actually been excavated and restored, represents a glimpse into the world that Moses will grow up in. Kind of reminds you of Bainbridge, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, and, and it's just, we need to stop and think about what's really happening. The people of Israel, uh, they're having this baby explosion, but they are reduced to slaves, they're being mistreated. Uh, and on the other hand, we have this incredible empire, the leading empire of the world that is swallowing up all the other empires. It is the only super power in existence, and Moses is gonna be raised in this. It is an incredible story, and we want to start with Hebrews. If you'll turn to Hebrews 11, because in the Bible, God takes the time to refer to these parents. We'll look at he, uh, the parents of Moses, and then Moses, <clears throat> his life, how it's been impacted by all this. But in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23, and we're all familiar with the great people of faith. It says, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents. So we'll look at their faith. He was hid three months. Uh, Justin just read, when they could hide him no longer. There's a time when they couldn't do that because they saw he was a beautiful child. They were not afraid of the king's command, this edict. So there's a lot going on here, and there are two things that we see. Well, let me just start pointing to his faith here. Go back to verse 1. You know this by heart. And I've gotten the phrases, two different phrases here in the scripture, on the text. Um, biblical faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, uh, has different words. But faith, biblical faith, we could call salvation's faith, it's real. It is life-changing. It has substance to it. You look through different Bible translations, and that word substance is translated with the word confidence, assurance, certainty, reality, but it all has to deal with things that are real. Um, when we come to Christ for salvation, God is no longer academic. He's a real person. Our daughter was four years old when she asked Sarah one night after some devotions, now how do you, how do, you do that? How do you get Jesus in your heart? And, and Sarah, as simply as she could, kind of explained that. She had been a teacher. And, uh, and our daughter promptly said, okay, you can leave now. <laughs> and just, she wanted to do it on her own at four years of age. She always has had her own mind. And we noticed that the next day, 
she was lining up all of her dollies and leading them through prayer so that they would ask Jesus into their heart. This, this little four-year-old life, but it was real. And that's what happened to me, it's what happened to you, and we can look back into our lives and realize there's a moment when God does become very real to us. And uh, uh, God is real. He is our Father. The Bible is His Word. We trust it. We don't have any questions about that. Jesus is God's Son. What He did on the cross had salvation value to it. Heaven is real. We know it. Now, here's why I have the conviction of things not seen, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. In the Bible world, when they looked at the Mediterranean Sea, they were convinced that there was a basin underneath holding it up, and the basin was supported by pillars. And this pillar support is the word that the Hebrew writers used in the first century, the support of things not yet seen. And the writer, God was telling us that he understands the anatomy of faith. And genuine faith not only understands the truth of what we believe, but it's a truth that gives support to our soul. We know. We know that heaven is a real place. We know that. There's nobody ever going to tell us otherwise. We just know that because it supports our soul. We know that God is not only there as the creator, he is our father that supports our soul, no matter what's happening in our world, that we just know that, and that's what faith does. And so when we go back to Moses' parents and we see their faith, at a young age, young in the scriptures age, we learn about their heritageness. Now, Justin read that they came from a particular tribe. What tribe was that, Jerry? You're all, you're, you're into details. That's it. This guy doesn't miss much. Now, that's kind of a hint of what's going to happen later, God's way of kind of connecting the dots. There will be a time when coming into the promised land, Balaam tries to defeat the nation of Israel. And he can't do it through prophecy because every time he wants to open his mouth, he ends up blessing the nation and, and uh, Balak and Balaam, you know that story. But they create a web of deceit and to defend the nation of Israel and to defend the honor of God one of the grandsons of Aaron, Phineas, does something very bold, very, very, he's very full of energy, it's very courageous, but he kills this threat and it has to deal with defending the honor of God. This parent, this family is linked to that family God is so pleased with what Phineas does that he gives them a covenant, an everlasting covenant of the priesthood. They become the priests. They have been declared that anyway, but it's this honor. It, it's, God has ways of, of kind of communicating. Uh, when it says, in the beginning, God created 
that word created is only used a few times, but every time it's used in the Bible, it's to help people to go back and say, oh yeah, God did that. And it's the same thing here. They have a heritage where they love God. Uh, their trial, babies are being thrown into the Nile. Acts chapter seven, when Stephen talks about it, talks about the mistreatment, the cruelty. Some translations talk about the Egyptians taking the babies. All right, now Moses' parents are going to have to live through this. They're surrounded as slaves in their Goshen community. They're being monitored by the, the uh, Egyptians. Babies are being killed. And in this setting, they have confidence in God. Now, there's a little tension here and we're supposed to see it. I'm thinking of the parents. Tension. Okay, ladies, we have questions for the men later. Ladies, the edict has been given that all these Hebrew baby boys are to be thrown into the Nile. That's an awful thing and they're actually fulfilling that. And all of a sudden, you find out you're expecting. What's that do to you? Do you have any tension at that moment? Do you go to hubby and say, we're gonna have a baby, it's gonna be great. <laughs> Probably not. Okay, so that's the tension starts. Okay, I'm expecting uh, as time goes along, can you hide it? Can't hide it. There's a little tension there. Are people watching? Are they gonna to wanna to know? When you have getting close to have the baby, how much has the tension ratcheted up for that? What, what are you feeling as a mom to be? You've already had two children, Moses and Miriam, but from just a human standpoint, knowing what's going on around you, hearing some of the things, babies that have been taken, you're soon to be giving birth to a child. What's that do to you? That's unreal. Yeah. Okay, Carol, you finally give birth. Oh, your prayers up to this time. God, let it be a girl. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, that's gotta that's gotta come in here. But you give birth and you realize you have a son. Now how do you feel? Scared to death and Oh, Oh, absolutely. 
Now, you mothers can pull almost anything off, but how do you keep a baby quiet? Especially when someone's listening for that. Oh. Yeah, she lived this, you know, this, she went through this. And, and it says in Exodus, when they could hide him no longer. What kind of tension exists for both the parents as they realize they can't keep the baby at home, but they can't, they can't destroy this child. They, they won't, they, they have confidence that God knows what he's doing, but they don't have any idea what the outcome of this whole thing is. And they, they come up with this plan and the baby is put in a, a little basket in the aisle, as the, in the Nile, and they have to back off. And I'm thinking, on one hand, we're told that they had faith. They did not fear what Pharaoh had said they did have this confidence that was supporting them that God was still in, they had no idea of the outcome. So you have this faith that's genuine, that's real, but you also have the tension. Those are the two things that we see that the scriptures tell us about the parents. Their faith, they were willing to trust God, but the tension. And how many times do adoptive parents have the same faith and yet tension and they have to trust God. And then when Moses is taken by Pharaoh into the Egyptian culture, what kind of tension did they have for that? Yeah, they had to trust God that he would take care of them and they did because that's why they're applauded so much in the scripture and their heritage. But there are, those are the two things. I think personally that we have those things there for these parents because in the area of adoption, there are always times where this faith, confidence in God is challenged. Some of the tension spots are not big, they're just normal but there are times where they have to go back to their confidence in what God was doing, how God has led them. They have to trust him. They just have to without knowing the outcome. And that's real for parents, all parents, but adoptive parents, I think more so it become, become more complicated than that. So that's one of the things that we wanted to bring out is just the faith of the parents. Absolutely critical because they were able to have a little time with Moses before he was weaned and given to Pharaoh's daughter. Jerry, in some of your teaching over the years, what ages were suggested? Do you remember for weaning age? How old, like Samuel was weaned before he was taken back? To first time we see Samuel when he is the boy that's brought to the temple he's old enough to talk to take instruction 
He has a little coat, he's up walking around and he's helping with small tasks at the temple. So four, anyway, about that. Uh, yeah, so, but the impact of mom and dad's life on Moses at that point will outweigh anything that he encounters with Egypt. That is amazing, that they could shape that child to impart the truths that when you're a kid, you could only process so much, but enough to help him, as we'll see this a little bit. And it challenges us as parents, grandparents, okay, where are we in our faith walk? What are we imparting? How much are we willing to trust God for that we can't see? So it's not all on Moses. God's not doing all the work. It, there's, there are parents in the background here. That is an incredible study for parents just to see that. All right. So let's shift gears. Let's go to the book of Acts where we see this. Uh, as you're turning there, let me read some of Exodus 2 because God gives us the same thing. <clears throat> and it came to pass, you're turning to Acts 7, in those days when Moses was grown that he went out to the first um, out to his brethren and looked at their burdens and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. He looked this way and that and when he saw no one he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. And he went out on the second day and behold two Hebrew men were fighting and said one to, uh, to the one who did the wrong, why are you striking your companion? And the Jewish man said, well, who made me, you a prince or a judge over us? Do you intend to kill me like you killed the Egyptian? And Moses feared, saying, surely this thing is known. And in Hebrews, or Acts, I'm sorry, Acts 7. Uh, Jerry, can you read verses 20 through 25, please? Sure, Acts 7. Acts 7. 20 through 25. Yep. At this time, Moses was born, and was well pleasing to God. And he was brought up in his father's house for three months. But when he was set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own son. Okay, we're just going to stay there for a little while. There are different statements that are made. We see him in the life as an Egyptian. We want to think of him as a Jewish man. Uh, there's some, quite a few things that are happening here. Think of his life as an Egyptian. Uh, when it says that he was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, I uh, want you guys to think about this. Uh, incredible advantage. The literacy rate of Egypt during that era was pretty small, but it was a key part of those who walked in the courts of the Pharaoh. The scribes, the people that wrote the laws, that recorded different things, that uh, took care of different edicts. Education was very special, and he was 
he was well trained in this upper level of life for the Egyptians. He had, educationally, he had great, great advantage for his training. And they tried to emphasize wisdom. You wouldn't know it by Moses' encounter with Pharaoh later, but they believed that educated people were not always wise, and not everybody that's wise is educated, and they tried to bring it together around a practical education. He was he had a great advantage, this guy growing up. All right, it says that he was mighty in word and deeds. Okay, Justin, mighty. What is it telling us about Moses when it says he was mighty? What are different words that you could use? This is his Egyptian life. Jerry, what would you add to that? And you're on the right track. Yeah, yeah, he was the General Schwarzkopf of his day, if you remember that back in uh, the word mighty would suggest his power, his strength, words and deeds, like you were saying, when he entered a room, he took command of what was going on in deeds. Those who have looked at this uh, Moses life, the timeline and the Exodus and all that, consider him to be a particular Amenhotep, and they have all, several of them uh, numerically. And when it says later that he, he refused to be called Pharaoh's son, that's a title that there are those who feel that he was being groomed to be the next Pharaoh. Um, they also attribute him to have had military success with the armies in different battles where this Amenhotep is named as the leading general on the battlefield. So when the scriptures say, as an Egyptian, he was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, he was mighty in word and deed, he was in charge. He was a successful accomplishment of what Egypt could do back then. 
and he was, yeah, he was, he was very much in charge. What he doesn't realize is that God is preparing him to go into the courts of Pharaoh, courts of Egypt, and understand how they work, how they talk, how they deal with, because he's going to have 10 confrontations with the Pharaoh. And he is going to, by his own personal experience, he doesn't know it yet, but he is going to be prepared to go in and represent an entire people who are no more than slaves and peasants, have no strength at all, that he's going to be able to go ahead and do that. That's, again, God knows what he's doing, but my goodness. What does it tell us about his self-awareness? He's been very successful and it says that it came to his mind to visit his brethren, to go out and be with them. He will choose rather to suffer affliction of the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of Egypt for a season. How does he view himself at that point when he goes out to visit? That's why he takes this, you know, these things into his hands. How does he see himself? What, what does it tell us about his self-awareness? I think he always viewed himself as an outsider. You know, there's this court. Okay. I mean, that he never quite belonged. Okay. Um, yeah. It's kind of interesting. I mean, you think about all the stories in the Old Testament. How many times God gets somebody in the inner court to do Yeah, it, it is. We're going to look at Esther next week. Yeah. It's kind of neat. It says that he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand. So what did he see himself as at that point? He realized that he was the, to be the deliverer. He knew that. Raised with all of these Egyptian advantages and yet I have it in your heart Egypt shaped his mind and his life but his parents at home shaped his heart and he knew he knew that but it said that but they did not understand and of course this whole thing of uh, having to run and spend the next 40 years in the wilderness that's his world It also tells us that there was something deficient about the way he was viewing himself. When it said that he went out to visit his brother, and the word visit again is a word of action, he was making his break in his mind. He was no longer going to be Egyptian. He was going to become the, the deliverer for his people, and he was going to start and evidently in his mind, the way he thought he was going to do that was to take care of this one Egyptian and kill him and, and maybe it would start there, but he was thinking in terms of being Jewish or Egyptian, not Jewish. 
and there was a work that God needed to be done in his life. There was tension earlier. The parents needed to trust God with the tension of their circumstances. But Moses is going to have to learn to trust God because his life is going to be entirely rearranged because God does not want a prince in a palace. He wants a shepherd who will guide his people. And what we see about Moses in his Egyptian time, he is a take charge kind of guy. He's going to get things done. But even though he believes in God, he hasn't really learned how to trust God. And he will experience a complete change in his personality because God wants a shepherd. He doesn't want a prince. And here's where the challenge for the parents come in. They would have to trust God if the circumstances at the very beginning when Moses was uh, just a child, three months. I can't, can't imagine the sleepless nights for a lot of reasons for this mom and dad. They just were not sleeping, trying to keep that baby quiet. But they would also have to trust God for that unseen work in his life to make him what God wanted him to be. And that's a different kind of trusting. He knew, Moses knew that he was a Hebrew, that he was to be the deliverer. He knew that, he had that pretty well, God had taken care of that. But he didn't know how to walk with God personally enough. And so God puts him in the desert in the same area that he will be leading two and a half million Jewish people. He will know the ways of the desert. He will know how to shepherd them and care for them. He will know everything about uh, shepherding uh, wilderness uh, life. But the, the change will be, instead of him taking charge, every time he need, he's confronted with an issue in that wilderness wandering, when the people get out of control, when he has difficulty, every time before he does anything, he and Aaron fall on their face and say, God, you gotta, you gotta help us. Except once when he struck the rock. Every other time he falls on his face and says, God. And when God comes to him and says in the fiery bush, you are the deliverer. You've got to go back to Pharaoh instead of being a take charge guy. Yeah, we can do this. Nope, I can't do it. <laughs> Complete change. And that's what God was waiting for. Him, the person to change, to be willing instead of trusting in himself to go ahead and let God take care of him and the people. And when that's ready, then Moses is really sent back. He takes the benefit of the Egyptian learning back into Pharaoh's presence, but now he's armed with, instead of self-confidence, he has a God confidence. And God knew what he was doing all the way along the line. We learned that adoption accomplishes God's purposes. For Moses, adoption was rooted in the faith of his parents and I have on the sheet, adoption can lead to great things. God can accomplish great things through adoptions, but also 
God at times uses adoption to accomplish his purposes. If it wasn't for adoption, this story would never have happened. It would never have happened. And so the parent who is getting involved in adoption, there's a lot they don't know, obviously. They just don't know. But this story tells us that God knows about that whole process. He has plans and purposes, not only to shape the faith, but also the personality. And for Moses, again, God used his adoption with Pharaoh's daughter to prepare him for things that he had no idea was coming. It wasn't wasted time, it was entirely different. It was away from mom and dad, and yet the seeds of faith had been sown. Mom and dad did their job, God was taking care of the rest. And what a wonderful encouragement this should be for adoptive parents who are trusting God for a future that they don't see yet. They don't know. Tension and all. They just, but God has everything worked out. He is caring for those who were adopted. He is using the adopted process in, in just only in ways only God can. And it should be a real encouragement for parents. It really should be. So I'm going to stop there for a little bit. We've gone through a lot. I said most, the very last statement on your page, Moses' adoption was not sought or wanted by the parents. This tells us at times the circumstances around adoption may not be pleasant. But God, as we learn here, is surely bigger than circumstances and can work through them no matter how difficult to care for people and fulfill his plans. Only God could have pulled this off. This is really a God thing. Man cannot do this on this magnitude. It just can't. So what can adoptive parents learn from this or how can they be encouraged from the beginning to end? We looked at Moses, what was happening. We looked at his life, all these things. Uh, what, what do you think can be an encouragement to parents as they look at this? didn't have a clue, did they? No. And after Moses was dropped off with Pharaoh's daughter, what would that do to a mom if she didn't have her faith? But having God, knowing what had happened, she was uh, just amazing. Yeah. What, what do you think? What, how else can this be of encouragement to adoptive parents? 
Makes you want to hold off on adoption, doesn't it? <laughs> For a lot of folks. I don't want to go through a Moses experience, you know, but Jochebed and Aram. Yeah. It should remind us just that God is who he is and he knows what he's doing, no matter what's happening in the lives of our kids or even in our own lives. And if we trust him, he will and somehow take care of us and bring glory to himself. Uh, That becomes really pronounced next week when we look at Esther. Yeah. And her life and her faith is still celebrated by the Jewish people today. On the Feast of Purim, yeah. Every year, yeah, in, a, in an incredible way. And it was, again, adoption situation. Well, I hope, again, my goal is to just use the Bible and look at what it says about adoption and see if there are some things that we can gain from it. And I think there's some help encouragement for parents who uh, run into tension their faith is up for the task whatever they f have to face okay justin you want to close this in a word of prayer and i'll let you folks get going over to church yeah sure dear heavenly father we thanks for uh, the bible lesson here this morning about moses and um and how you give us um multiple examples in the in the bible of how adoption Thank you. I did talk with Ray, and we're going to try to get Bethany, Bethany uh, Adoption Services here the last Sunday uh, that we do this together. Uh,